the, one of the stories I covered was when some hackers got into Trump's uh, Twitter and they found that his password on Twitter was "You're fired," and they couldn't believe that they guessed that. Um, and it worked. <laughs> like, it was just ridiculous. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes really stupid things just show up and somebody's there and finds it. And it's, it, it's definitely not always sophisticated. These are true stories from the dark side of the Internet. I'm Jack Resider. This is Darknet Diaries. Hey everyone, it's David Bombal back with a very, very special guest. Jack, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Jack, you're really famous, so... Probably don't need to introduce you, but just for people who, you know, don't know who you are, could you explain, you know, who you are, a bit about your background and what you're currently doing? Yeah, I'm Jack Resider. I make the podcast Darknet Diaries. Um, this is a show, it's kind of like true crime meets cybercrime, right? I want to get, like, the full story of what happened in a, in a cybercrime event, you know? Like, oftentimes the news just covers the breaking latest stuff, which leaves us with more questions and answers. So I like to go and say, oh, it's been six years. Maybe we know everything about this story. Yeah, it looks like we do. And then I'll go back and and find all the details and then tell the story from start to end. And that's the way I think a proper news story should be told, some kind of a slow news junkie. Uh, Before that, I was a network security engineer for 10 years, working primarily with Cisco products. Yeah, we we were saying before this started, you and I, both have a Cisco background. So mm-hmm. um, let's go right back. And then I want to talk more about the podcast. Just for everyone, you know, if you don't know about it, I've put links below. Um, I highly recommend it as probably one of the best or the best cybersecurity slash hacking uh, podcast out there. But Jack, tell us, you did a degree. And sort of let's start with that story. And then how, how, how did that morph into what you're doing today? Yeah, I mean, I was just really... I think ever since I got AOL and I was online, <laughs> like computers were cool, but once you turned them, when it was online, it was like, what, this is amazing. And yeah. ever since then, I've been addicted, absolutely addicted for, you know, decades. And so I, you know, got out of high school and I was like, well, what do I do? And um, I was like, well, the computers are just so fascinating and yeah. I think there might be a future there. So I might as well go and get a degree in that. So it's just kind of a general secure um, uh, IT degree, um, bachelor's. And, you know, it's, it teaches you one course on every technology, right? So I never really got a deep dive into anything. And because of that, I couldn't really find where I was supposed to fit in in the tech world yeah. and just kind of floundered for a, a long time. So did you, when you got out of university, did you, did you manage to get a job or did you struggle? How did, how did that process go? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I did little odds and ends jobs here, like just doing web development for yeah. really tiny, like, people. But um, yeah, I couldn't really find anything. So I ended up just doing everything but IT jobs for like, I don't know, maybe 10 years. Oh, wow. It was, it was tough for me to figure out where I was supposed to be. And it wasn't until I went back to, uh, I, I had this mindset of like, oh, I need to just use my degree. I really like computers. I need to use my degree. Yeah. And I went and I got my CCNA wow. and that got me a job in a network operations center and rekindled my whole trajectory. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you said that. And I mean, when I was, re- you know, doing a bit of reading about your background, I um, 
it was so cool to to hear that because I'm a big advocate for CCNA. Um, mm-hmm. CCNA kind of changed my life as well, um, opened up a lot of doors. So let me just see if I got this right. You had a degree, computer focused, but you were struggling to get a like a IT related job. Then you went and did your CCNA, and how long after that did you did the doors start opening? Oh, it was it was immediate. Like wow. um, the the day I got my CCNA, I started applying, and the first place I applied to let me in. That's amazing. And then did you job hop or were you at that place for quite a while? Nope. I was there for 10 years. It was a really nice um, career path where they even laid it out for me, you know, in the opening, in, in the interview, they showed me like a career map saying, okay, you're going to start here, you know, 90 days, kind of like a trial period, probation yeah. kind of thing. And then after nine months, you then, you know, so you're, you're a knock tech and then you become uh, well, a knock tech in training and then a knock tech and then a senior knock tech after nine months. And if you keep progressing, you can turn into a junior engineer. And I did. I went and I got my CCNP while I was in the knock. Um, not really sure where I, I thought I was going to go route switch, right? I thought yeah. that was my big thing. Yeah. And uh, they said, well, there's a security position open, uh, security engineer. And I really, I didn't even know commands in an ASA. I, I, they, they quizzed me and I, and I got them all wrong. Wow, that's <laughs> like, crazy. I, I, I thought I did because I had been in some, but, um, you know, you got you to gotta go in enable mode before you could do some of these. And I, yeah. and I was like, I didn't realize that. So, yeah, I, I said, well, I, I'll take any engineer position. I don't really care. I mean, there was voice, there was server, there was uh, dead, date route switch, and uh, there was security. And I was just like, I'll take whatever is open. And sure enough, security was open. So I jumped into that. Wow. And immediately I started going down the security path, right? CCNA security, CCMP security. But it was somewhere in there that I realized, oh, my gosh, this is where I need to be. Because I took one of every of those classes in college. Yeah. I know uh, quite a bit, it seems like, about how the BIOS works in an operating system, how images get stored, how, um, you know, languages are written, how all these things happen in a computer that I would never have, like, studied on my own, but because the college just makes you learn Boolean, you know, <laughs> logic and all this kind of weird stuff, uh, it was all coming together. And it was it was such a great place for me because it was utilizing all of those skills that I had learned all my life and in this one spot and just being able to secure things and knowing why that's not secure or showing people how that makes sense and all this kind of stuff like it, it all it all came together so it was it was just a, a match made in heaven for me once i got into security engineering and i just kept going i i progressed you know junior engineer engineer senior engineer subject matter expert i love hearing stories like that i mean I, people often say bad things about the ccna you know to hear it from someone like you who's you know that opened a lot of doors it's amazing would you recommend ccna for people today or is it like not worth it. I, I I think that there should be one of three pillars that you should stand on before going into security. You yeah. should either have a good not working knowledge of operating systems or, you know, like servers, like here's how we run Exchange, here's how we run VMware, here's how, you know, we stand up these kind of things. Or you can have a good understanding of programming, knowing how C works or yeah. Java or JavaScript or PHP or or Python or any language. Just pick one and be super good at it or have a great understanding of network, um, TCP IP networking and routing because um, so many attacks happen over, the, <laughs> over TCP IP, right? Yep, so you yep. can open those packets up and you can inspect it and you can see all the flags and all the details. And if you, if you're, it's kind of like this is your toolbox, right? If if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Exactly. And 
if you are good at one of those three pillars, then you're going to know, okay, I can break open this code and examine the code because that's what I'm good at. Or I can break open this packet and examine the packets because that's what I'm good at. Or I can look at the configs because I'm good at that, right? So it's all just find that foundation and then build from there. And yeah, CCNA is a great foundation, I think, for TCP IP. You were mainly on the blue team. Is that right? Well, I mean, it's kind of funny. Like I was mainly focused on Cisco ASA firewalls. Okay, so, so firewalls were your thing, yeah? Yeah, and um, I wasn't even like the one who decided what to configure it or, you know, like what configs go in it. I, I was just told like, here's what we need. We've got this new branch opening. Please make it so that they, you know, can operate or something. Or please open these ports because the server team needs them open. And so I, I just took requests and put them in. And I felt more like an administrator yeah. than a security engineer. And I, I realized, like, after, you know, exploring the security world more, that we're not doing enough for our customers. We should be, we should be analyzing logs, and we should be giving recommendations, and we should actually be collecting more data to, you know, look at stuff. And so we actually built out a SOC. It was a rudimentary one, but we started logging and, and correlating alerts and threat hunting and all this kind of stuff to um, actually find problems in people's networks. And that um, is kind of how it progressed. That's amazing. So... CCNA like kind of was the catalyst, if you like, or kickstarted your career. You started in Cisco. You kind of did Cisco for ten years, and then you built the SOC, doing like more blue team type stuff and like mm-hmm. uh, being proactive rather than just waiting for something to happen. Why did you stop that and then move towards you know doing a podcast? Well, I think I think all my life I've wanted to make something creative and call that my own. And I, even at work, I was doing stuff. I was building tools and and a, like a little web portal uh, internal site so that it was easier to access certain information and stuff and so i'm just kind of creative and um so i was like creating all these things and a lot of the stuff i was making i was getting 99 percent of the way done and just that one that last one percent is like oh all of a sudden none of this makes sense i wish i could redo it i don't want to finish it it's getting that way like it's it's just too hard but um I, i mean what i was doing during that time was i was blogging and i was writing down all the all the configs that I didn't, I couldn't remember, you know, memorize yeah. or how to do certain things, like just a lot, a lot of technical notes for myself, really. And it was really helpful because you're explaining difficult concepts as simple as you can, and that helps a lot of other people. And so, you know, building off that kind of seeing that there were people appreciating the stuff I was putting out there, and I was really in love with podcasts, I decided to create a podcast with with what I said earlier in mind, I want that full story from beginning to end. I don't want just the latest news or interviews from experts. I want to hear that whole thing. And because some s- hacking stories are just so high drama, you know, yeah. I and mean, there's crazy stuff that happens in there. I think that would be great audio because I, I just love listening to This American Life and Radiolab and this sort of thing. So I decided to try to make it. Yeah, I was doing that while working. I saw a lot of potential in it that it could this could be my main thing. And at the same time, I was sort of burnt out at work. It wasn't going the way I wanted, and it was very stressful. So I decided to leave that and focus on the podcast full-time for a while. You started it in 2017, is that right? Mm-hmm. So you were doing that part-time, and then it didn't take you long, was it? I mean, when, when did you go full-time? Uh, probably like six months into it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, talking about the creative side, I mean, I, there's definitely a huge amount of creativity in what you do. I've, I've heard you in, in other interviews explain why you didn't 
see yours as the same as other people's or why you wanted to create this because it, w- it wasn't available. Is that right? There was nothing like you were creating out there. Yep. The, the stories, I think, were I was really focused on, right? Yeah. And so the, the, the podcasts out there were either news-focused or experts or teaching a, a technical concept that's sometimes dry and boring. And so I was like, well, where's, where's just the story? Like, tell me that tell me that time when you hacked into that place and everything went wrong <laughs> and you went to jail and then we got out. Like, that was great. And I think I heard like glimmers of this on other podcasts, like when McAfee was on Paul's Security Weekly, that was just such a crazy story that yeah. he brought on there. And I was like, this is amazing. Why aren't there more shows that just have these crazy stories the whole time? And, uh, you know, that, the, little things like that gave me these ideas. And there was... Um, there was an idea that I heard, um, I think it was Leslie Carhart and Johnny Xmas say on stage once, like, if you want to be a rock star in security, don't try to blow our minds at a security conference by coming on stage and showing us something. Go to Comic-Con and tell yeah. them there that you're a hacker and these are the things you do for a living and be a speaker there or some other non-security event and watch how the people just go crazy over you. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna be amazed at the stuff you're doing. And uh, I was like, oh, wow. So if I... I take some of what I'm, what I know in security, and try to repo- point it towards just the general audience. There's something there as well. So that I kind of had them in mind when I was making this. It's not going to be just for security, but I wanted the people who are in security or in IT to have this appreciation for it, and maybe even learn something along the way. And sure enough, they do. So. I kind of shoot on both sides of the fence for the audiences too. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. It's one of my questions, you know, who's it aimed at? And I think, I mean, you've answered that. It's So it's not just technical cyber people. It's for a general audience. And you, how do you balance that? Because that's quite difficult. How do you balance like giving enough technical details so that it keeps someone who's, mm-hmm. you know, technical interested as well as like, I wouldn't like, to, I don't like to use the word, but dumbing it down or, you know, making it more for a general audience. Yeah, I mean, I think I like to... treat people like adults to start with. I don't want to say, hey, this is (laughs) is really basic stuff we're going to cover here because then (laughs) the adults in the room are like, this is not obviously not for me. I want to talk to the adults. And I I just remember growing up and watching like Discovery Channel and stuff and being uh, like they would talk about Einstein's great theorem and stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm so, I love, you know, I'm in calculus in school. I love physics. This is going to be such a great program. And it absolutely did not talk about math at all. And it just talked about everything but. Yeah. And I was like, where where is the show for the adults? Give yeah. me the interesting Einstein story that adults can appreciate because this is obviously not for me. And I'm a college student. <laughs> so like, who are you even trying to target? So I, I was always frustrated with these kind of learning shows that never really were for adults. Like it just frustrated me. So I was like, I'm going to make something that people who are in this field can absolutely appreciate. And then it doesn't, it doesn't go way too over their head. So I kind of, I kind of like go these um, wavy patterns where I might go high level and then deep into the weeds and then high level and deep in the weeds. So you, you, you kind of get this rhythm that when you're listening, okay, Jack's getting deep in the weeds, but I know he's going to only be there for like 30 seconds or a minute and then he's going to come back around. And that 30 seconds or a minute is enough to, you know, quench someone's thirst who just wants that little bit of more information. So yeah. I, I just don't linger down in those spots too long and, or anywhere. I mean, it's, it's part of story storytelling. So I wanted to ask you, you know, how did you learn to tell stories so well? Because, I mean, listening to the podcast, it's amazing how you you do that. You like keep on grabbing attention. Yeah, I mean, some of the people I really 
admired from the get-go were Ira Glass from This American Life, uh, Roman Mars from 99% Invisible, Jad Abumrad from Radiolab. Uh, these were just great audio storytellers. And, I, and there's so many times where I've been in my car, listening to the radio, hearing their show, arriving and not getting out and just finishing up the story, even though it's about tackle boxes or feathers or something that I really don't care about. I'm just fascinated with the way they've done it. And so there was something profound about that. Like, why am I interested? Why do you have me totally hooked on this story that I really could care less about, but I can't turn it off? Yeah. And so I knew that they had something. So there was some books and some articles that they've written. Like the first one I got was called Out on the Wire by Jessica Abel. And she interviews all these people I just you know listed. Like, how do you do it? Yeah. How do you tell stories? Like, don't tell me like how the editing or what software or mic you're using. How do you tell great audio stories? And that was just a fantastic book. It taught, it has little formulas in there to teach you of like, uh, it, here's how you can write your, here's how you can build your story with a formulas. I also um, had found that there was Pixar has this uh, team, they teamed up with Khan Academy called Pixar in a Box. Yep. And they talk about how to do storytelling, like character arc and uh, scene development and all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, they're also great storytellers. So, yeah, I mean, when I wanted to learn how to podcast, this is where I went. I, I, I just grabbed whatever mic I had out of the drawer, turned it on and hit record. It was a USB mic. So it wasn't, there was like no like technical <laughs> problems that I really needed to overcome or hardware issues. It was all about the art and craft of it with the storytelling that I, I had to focus on. And, and yeah, I think it took me like three months of just kind of learning and going through the stages and kind of playing around with how the first episode would sound. I, I scrapped it all like one time and started with a whole new story. And wow. uh, yeah, it, and it, it still felt like, oh, this isn't, this barely got together with just, you know, duct tape and, and string. Um, and so it wasn't until I kind of got 20 episodes in that I felt like I knew how how to do this. That's amazing. You know, what I, what I love about your story is it's a, it's a real inspiration for technical people that... You know, you were doing CCNA, you were doing CCMP security, all this heavy techie stuff, um, ASA type stuff, but you've combined that with storytelling. I think a problem a lot of technical guys make or like a pitfall, if you like, is they, they don't tell the story. They don't get people hooked, um, get too excited perhaps about the CLI and don't, you know, bring in everything. And uh, I think you've done a fantastic job with that. And I mean, tell us your downloads, like what kind of, how many downloads are you getting on, on a podcast? Yeah, I will. I, I just want to highlight one thing there. Sure. Somebody on, yeah. told me early on that uh, if you can explain technical concepts or you could communicate effectively your IT stuff, if you could just communicate it very well, um, there's money in that. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I never really understood that. Like I was blogging, trying to do that and stuff like that, but it just wasn't really there. And yeah, I mean, it, the podcast clearly, clearly shows that, that if you can explain this properly. And I think I was doing it at work. I was the go-to person for some of these really difficult customers that just wouldn't yeah. listen to reason and all this kind of stuff. And, and people always say, wow, you navigated that very well. That was something I would have, like, I, my other employees, you know, coworkers were getting thrown out of calls because they weren't <laughs> working it out well. And I was like, it's all right, I, I can handle this. Um, there's, some, yeah. there's so much truth in that. Let's talk about that for a second. I mean, it's, I think in life, you, you can't just focus on techie skills. You have to also focus on soft skills like communication. It just empathy with someone else, being able to 
you know, go to their level. You have any thoughts about that? You know, how do you learn that stuff? How, how did you, you know, get this ability? I well, I, I kind of put my head in in the other person's situation, right? So yeah. if I'm trying to talk to the CEOs or you know thought leaders, even lawyers in the company, <laughs> you shouldn't swear, lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I I don't want to look down at them and say, oh, they're not going to understand this. They are very smart people, and they yeah. get really complex topics. And so I just have to put it in what would matter to them. What's in, what's their language? What's their world? And I, and I meet them on their turf to make it uh, make sense to them so that they could say, oh yes, that is something we need to focus on. That's, that's absolutely something. How do we, what do we need to do to support you with that or something, you know, yeah. instead of me just rambling on some tech stuff and hoping, hoping they listen to the podcast and read the books that I do and the articles I do to know that that's a threat. Yeah. Like, let me, um, let me make all those lines clear. So I think connecting the dots, I think is just the, the biggest thing. A lot of times when I'm telling a story, I'm just like, uh, you know, somewhere in the third act, I'm like, wait, they use this tool to break into the building. Well, why didn't we use, why didn't we pack that tool? in the first act like and i think there's um there's something that if uh, if a gun is used to shoot someone in the third act you better introduce the gun in the first act yeah. so yeah i need that i need to go back to the beginning of the story and say hey wait what did you pack on this on this trip or you know to get to break into this building or something and we need to cover that so yeah i mean i i really want to make sure that there's no surprises or gaps in the just the logic of it on how we get there i don't want to jump to something I want you to know here's all the stuff and start, you know, using in your head, like, well, where could we use this tool? And I would never have used that tool. I would never have thought of packing that. And then it becomes the most important thing later on. I mean, that's a lot of work to put in the story. How long does it take you to, to, to make one of the podcasts? Oh, a good, a good two weeks, like 50 hours of work. Wow. And that's I've got if, if sorry, other go people helping me on it, but it's uh, about that many, you know, person hours. That's per podcast. Does that include research, or is that just the like putting it all together in a in a proper package? I think I think that's kind of the average uh, amount. Uh, some of them take a load of research, and some take a long time of gathering guests and and years. <laughs> there's some, there's a few guests I'm still courting like years and years, and they're like, I'm almost there, but I'm not ready to say yes yet. And I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be here like more years later. I'll, I'll keep asking you. Uh, yeah. So sometimes it just takes a long time. Other things come together real nice and easy. Like um, I interviewed uh, somebody who wrote a book and I was able to get an advanced copy of the book. So I just had to listen to the book, an audio book, and then, you know, we could go over the story. So I didn't really have to do much research in those situations. I mean, when you were when you were working full time and you decided to do this, how, how did you manage that financially? Because I mean, did you have money put away, or did the podcast make money immediately? If someone's interested in doing something similar, like let's say they want to do a podcast or do something, you know, based on your experience, you know, how did that go, and what advice would you give? Um, I, it's always nice to hear people who've you know walked the road and you know give advice to someone who's new. Yeah, I I'm a big a person a proponent for like um just give value first and figure out when you can take that later like yeah. i don't like the idea of trying to take value out of something that you're creating right away you need to yeah. be adding value to it and so how can i make this more valuable more valuable more valuable so i'm just i was all about just adding to it and not taking anything out so and this this, this builds audience this builds trust this builds people that like you more i mean there yeah. were people in the first few months that i asked them how many people have you shared this with and they said 30 people you wow. know and i'm just like that wouldn't have been there if i was just trying to take all you know 
take all their money and <laughs> put ads in and yeah, exactly. uh, you know push on this sort of thing they they were there with me they were helping me and it was it was a great combination and they appreciated what i was doing so yeah in the early days i was just adding um and even when I quit my job, the podcast had zero ads in it. But I thought like, okay, I'll give myself three months of let's see if I can make some money with this. And then that would be great if this could be my full-time job. So I started looking for sponsors and I had a tough time. It wasn't until the end of three months. But in that time, I actually had a Bitcoin that I bought at six hundred dollars, and well, it was up at it was up at like eighteen thousand dollars at the time. So I sold my Bitcoin to carry me through that, so I could say that my uh, Bitcoin sort of changed my life and gave me that road to uh, <laughs> start this show. That's amazing. So one Bitcoin launched yeah. Darknet Diaries. That, that's really cool. So, so yeah, it wasn't until like nine months after starting that it was actually making some money. And uh, once it started making a little bit and it was enough just to get me, you know, another month and another month and another month, I finally was able to start paying itself off. And today it does very well. How do you, I think you mentioned, what is it, 500,000 downloads per episode, yeah? Yeah, 500,000 is kind of the average. I think the highest uh, downloaded one is 700,000, wow. which is the... Um, the spy and the NSO episodes, episode 99 and 100. Based on your experience, what advice would you give someone? Do they need to focus on a special type of microphone uh, or is it like that stuff not so important as, you know, the the other skills? Yeah, I mean, you can you can knock out the, the hardware stuff in a weekend and just figure out what you need and be done and, and that's it. And I... Honestly, I, I just used with what I had to get started. I didn't go out and buy any stuff at all. I think I think finding something that people appreciate, it doesn't matter how small of an audience it is, as long as someone appreciates it and just is so happy that they found what you're making and uh, it would be really sad if you were to go is probably the, the key to success. Um, from there, those people become little supporters of you and, and marketers for you and yeah. help spread the word. But if you're not reaching people on just a profound level of like, wow, this is so good. I, I'm so happy for this. And, and it could be on so many things. It could, you know, If you're talking about Bitcoin, you could have people who are so deep into Bitcoin that they want that latest bit of information that they have, you know, they, they're into Bitcoin for the last six years and they, they know everything about Bitcoin. And so you can give them just one little piece of information more. That's a small audience, right? There's not yeah. everyone who wants just that cutting edge bit of Bitcoin information, but it's so great for the people who want it, right? They just want that little bit more. And when they come, when they hear that in the episode, like I learned something that I didn't know that's amazing because I thought I knew everything about Bitcoin. That that's that's just that means a lot to them. They appreciate yeah. that, right? So you find that little area that you just want to add value to someone's life. And what's the value you're adding? You're you're making them laugh, you're giving them information, you're being entertaining. You find what the value is that you you have and just deliver that. And it doesn't need to be to a wide audience. You can make it small if you want, and it'll do just as well. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the, I, I've seen, you've, heard, you've mentioned this, this a few times. It's like, find your audience and then add lots of value. You've, mm -hmm. got to, you've got to add value and then the audience will grow. Yeah. Yeah. A book that kind of helped me with that is uh, Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk's, yeah. I think it's jab, 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 uppercut is what it's called. And it's, it's giving, 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 giving. And then finally, when you feel like you've given so much, you can take something back and and uh, yeah he's he's been inspirational yeah i I've, I've read quite a few of gary's books it's exactly that if you add value people will become your fans and when you need mm -hmm. them to support you they will 
it's um, it's a great way to go. When you interview people, do you interview companies that have been hacked or do you interview hackers or is it like a combination? Oh, yeah, I like, I like all the sides, right? So some people who have been uh, victims, some people who have been the criminals, and then some people who just play a hacker on TV, right? So like uh, penetration testers that uh, just act out the part and try to get in. And, and it's fun to hear like how they manage to break into buildings or break into a network and stuff. There's something exciting about that. That sem- seems to be equally as, as entertaining as someone who's doing it for real, like a CIA agent I interviewed yeah. the other day, um, you know, get, breaking into foreign embassies networks and wow. um, getting information out of that. Like, I thought that would be much more exciting and riveting, but people seem to like even the penetration tests better. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm all over the board. That I think the common thing here is it's got to be related to uh, information security, hacking, and it's got to uh, be someone who was there or a very, you know, deep researcher in the space. I really like tales from from the trenches. You know, the hearing that person's voice who did the crime or who had to sort it out is just so much more powerful and gives you so much more a deeper understanding of this. Because when you we hear the story like, oh, hackers broke into this thing, yeah. your immediate thought is all, you, you can draw all these images in your head and, and it must have been a sophisticated t- technical problem and all this kind of stuff. But sometimes it's just a kid in fifth grade period on his, you know, $20 tablet because he was bored. And <laughs> it's like, uh, it's it's just, it's fun, fascinating to hear this, the voice from the person who did it. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I wanted to ask you, that was one on my list about the kid. It was, is that one of your favorite episodes? I mean, it's difficult when you say favorite, but like, can you give us like some examples of the ones that were most surprising to you perhaps? Yeah, I really like the Xbox Underground one. I felt like when that came together, it was what I imagined the show to be like in my head. And that was like episode 47 or something like that. So it took me that long before I could finally say, aha, this is, this is what I've had in my head this whole time. Now you get to see what I want to make. Because it had multiple peoples in there. The story was just so crazy. It was a wild ride. So for and, people who uh, haven't haven't heard it, can you just give us like a quick overview of what it's about? Yeah, there's, um, I guess, a hacking group which wanted to hack into Xbox. Well, actually, a, a different video game companies and download the games pre-release. So they just wanted to play beta versions of the games. But what they ended up hacking into was just amazing and the stuff they did. And it, and it's one of those stories that you're like, there's no way this is true as you're listening. But yeah, it absolutely is. Um, but the other one that was really fascinating is when I was at DEF CON one year, I got a tap on the shoulder and it was a NSA agent or um, mm-hmm. something like that. And he's like, do you want a story? And I was like, yeah. And that ended up being Operation Glowing Symphony where the NSA came on the record on my show and talked about the day they hacked ISIS and the mm-hmm. campaign behind it. Which to me was also something like, I, I hope one day the NSA can come clean and tell me about a time they hacked something. And this was that. So I was like, I can't believe, like, th- like what's next after that? Getting fancy there, you know, on, on the, the phone? Like, it's just crazy that uh, a nation state actor would come. And that was even, like, approved by General Nakasone, the head of the NSA, to, like, I, I don't think he listened, but, like, one of his aides listened and said, well, what do you think? And they said, oh, we need to change this one part, but otherwise it's good. And so they gave me some feedback, like, you, you said too much uh, of our, you know, means and tactics, and we don't want that exposed or something. So I had to take that one part out. But otherwise, they approved it and it went out. It's amazing. I mean, uh, but I've got to ask you this question. Why do you hide 
your identity? And then how did the NSA find you at DEF CON? <laughs> I had a meet I had a meetup there. I put it on my website and on Twitter said I'm gonna be at this bar and come see me if you want. So it was it's kind of a, a meetup, and that's where they found me. Um, but yeah, I mean, they could find me anywhere, kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a it's a bad question because I was I was just thinking. I mean, uh, they they one organization that could probably find out, but uh, out of you know a few. But it, yeah. it, it, uh, explain to me why I, I've heard the story, but for people who haven't heard it, why do you hide your identity? Well, I I think it's I'm a, I'm a big. Uh, believer in in online privacy and yeah. and this sort of thing. So I want to be a practicer, right? So I don't want to uh, show everything online. I like to uh, you know keep my face off the internet and just you just take take a couple degrees away so that it's not easy to get to me if you need to. Um, and I I can have this sort of persona that's this online creator and then it, that's separate from my personal life and, and that's nice. I think yeah. there's some luxury in that. But also I think I feel like I'm part of like a journalistic uh, side of uh, that's kind of what I do. Um, and so there's kind of a war on journalists now or, yeah. you know, I might be exposing something people don't want me to expose or uh, name some hackers that they don't want me to name them. And that could be a problem for me. So it's kind of a nice buffer of security as well. I think you said on other podcasts, did someone do OSINT on you and found you, is that right? Yeah, this was not when I was a podcaster, but it was uh, when I was just playing around with uh, making some YouTube videos. I, I had some some videos and yeah, somebody f really loved what I was making. They were just a huge fan and they wanted to say hi. And they I guess yeah. they were messaging me on YouTube, but I just wasn't seeing it. And so he looked to see like some uh, identifying objects in the background, found out what city I was in, figured out like, oh, this might be his house that he's recording at, where what's something in the background. He figured out like the address and he was in Germany. So that was kind of impressive to, wow. to sort that out. But um, from there, he, f he looked up county records and saw like who owns this house and it was me. And it was uh, from there, he found out where I worked. Then he was able to email me at work and and I was like what how did you find my work email and he told me all this and I was just like really freaked out so yeah I mean that's kind of an early thing that made me want to like not put my stuff out there anymore he didn't come to your house then he just emailed you yeah yeah luckily fortunately yeah I mean, if you got a yeah. knock on your front door, that would have been like a bit worrying. I know. Yeah. So I, I, ever since then, I've kept my extra distance, just a step or two ahead. Tell me about the um the blog, or oh, sorry, the, the 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 blog that you have, Lime Link. What is that about? Lime Link is a blog that I talk about podcasting. I guess when I was getting into podcasts, I was really fascinated with everything about it. Um, yeah. And so I just blogs like when I figured out how to do something, I just blogged about it. So it was just kind of like my learning journey on, well, what do you need to do? And like, how come these uh, Patreon creators are making so much money? Let's look at it, you know? And so I would look at that or I would look to see where do you, where should be the places you should be uploading your podcast to if you have one. So I, I just blog about podcasts. I think I have like four blogs in the world. So I just can't stop blogging. Yeah, I mean, that's brilliant. I mean, you've also got Tunnels Up, haven't you? Yeah, Tunnels Up is my IT security blog that I was doing for seven, eight years before I went to podcasting. So, I mean, if someone wants to learn like podcasting, is it... Um is is the the Lime, the Lime website still a good one to visit? Is there still information up to date stuff there, or is it is it still valid stuff that they can learn there? Yeah, for sure. If, if usually when somebody asks me like, "Hey, I'm going to start a podcast. What, what should I learn?" I say, "Start with with the first very first article I wrote there, which is a list of like ten steps to get started with your podcast. And if you want to keep going, you can." That's great. I mean, so tell us more about like um, 
the your main website it's it, i mean it's darknet diaries is where people can go to 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 get the podcast is that right uh, do you have a youtube channel as an example because i mean we're on youtube uh, do you want mm-hmm. people to to go there where's 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 good places to find you uh jack recider is my youtube channel and yeah. uh, i've been putting the uh episodes just recently i decided okay i should get everything going on youtube so i put some real basic looping animation uh b- video for the episodes and i've been uploading the back catalog there it should should be all caught up at some point but for now it's still pretty far behind but yeah i mean there's some fun animations that i've put on there and and it's it's going pretty well i think there's uh i think a year from now it'll really be a big channel so so fun to watch. you're going to put so you're going to put your podcasts um on like the the, the various platforms but you're also going to start putting it on youtube now yeah yeah so i've got any podcast player find you can find darknet diaries but now it's on youtube as well and will that just be like the podcast or are you going to put some extra stuff there as well i mean you've, you've given us some examples but are you going to do something different there obviously not show your face but like is, yeah. is it just going to be this the, the podcast or are you going to like try and change the narrative on the on the youtube channel well the podcast is is going to come across that should work but i think that i've got some other ideas uh, yep. for videos and um sometimes maybe i just have a shorter story that i'd like to talk about um, sometimes I've done a couple videos of like top 10 biggest cyber highs, top 10 biggest, you know, threat, ha- threat actors in the world, these kind of stories. But I, I do like talking about, um, sort of combining philosophy and the modern world of technology and stuff like that. And I've got some ideas in my head about making some videos about that, just stuff to make you think like in a weird way not like in a oh i've got like a lot of there's a lot of how-to videos out there but not a lot of why to yeah right? so yeah, why are a, we doing point, this yeah. Yeah. why do you even want to build a website let's back up <laughs> so uh, i think there's something fun to go in there and then i think uh, uh i've got lots of little ideas like I, this next episode i'm making is about um, somebody who steals bitcoin and maybe i should make a youtube video that says Here's how to protect your Bitcoin, right? So kind of a, a, a security story. I don't know, you know, how to secure your stuff. I mean, that's great. I mean, I wanted to ask you, I mean, when you, when I put YouTube videos out, I get a lot of like, like uh, flack about, this is stupid. No one's ever going to do this. Do all the stories that you, or the people that you interview, do that, are all, the, are all of them these master hackers or a lot of, do a lot of them just get into systems because they poorly secured and it's just dumb. Oh yeah, a lot of them. And I'll call them out too when they say, uh, yeah, this is, I just found the password written on a post-it or something. I'd be like, you're not even a hacker. You're not even a script kitty. You're not, you're like, the, the, <laughs> you're, you're ridiculous. And he's like, yeah, I know, but it worked. It shouldn't have worked, but it worked. And they, they can laugh about it too, about how stupid it is that some of the stuff they've done as far as how easy it was to, for it to happen. I mean, one of the, one of the stories I covered was when some hacker got into Trump's uh, Twitter and they found that his password on Twitter was you're fired and they couldn't believe that they guessed that um, and it worked <laughs> like it was just ridiculous so yeah I mean sometimes really stupid things just show up and somebody's there and finds it and it's it, yeah, it's definitely not always sophisticated yeah, it's amazing I mean I think um, a lot of us like to look at the cool crazy techie stuff but that's not always the reality Jimmy, all the time can you help me hack into my friend you know someone's instagram or facebook or something and <laughs> they they have this belief that there's like yeah. some tool out there or some person who can do this sort of thing 
But really, like when when people want to do this, they're gonna they're gonna steal a phone. They're just gonna grab it and run, or steal a computer. Like that's the easiest way. It's just yeah, look. If you know this person, just steal their phone. Why are you asking me? <laughs> so there there's low tech ways to do this sort of thing that um, is much more effective. Um, but there's not like this magic magic thing out there. That's a really cool. I mean, you've how many episodes have you uploaded? I think uh, oh, yeah, 117 now. And are, are there any big takeaways after doing over 100 episodes? Like any advice just for a normal person of how to better secure themselves? I, I think a lot of these things are, uh, you know, going after the low hanging fruit sort of thing. And I mean, you, you yeah. you've got you've got different kinds of attackers. You've got people who are just kind of spray and pray going for anything and anything that's open. And you don't want to be that sort of one. You want to make it difficult. I, I feel like I learned about this once where there's like this pyramid of pain where you want to make it more difficult for the hackers to get into your network. You're never going to make it impossible, but you want to make it more difficult yeah. so they have to use more resources and more time and more energy. And um, yeah, you just want to you want to do that. So, yeah, I mean, you've got these three kinds of attackers. You've got the spray and pray kind of ones. You've got the ones who are targeting you specifically. And then you've got kind of the APT th uh, threat actors where they have a lot of resources and time. And so you want to you wanna just uh, make it as difficult as you can for these ones. And so having, just doing your due diligence and securing things <laughs> is going to make it, like... Being being more secure than the other person, I think, is what I'm trying to say. It's not always the most secure, but it's like uh, if if my stuff is harder to find than your stuff, they're going to go after your stuff instead of mine. I think it's great advice. I mean, I think the problem is a lot of people um, think it's never going to happen to them, and they get lax in their security, and then like setting bad passwords, stuff like that, um, and then it does happen. Um, Jack, I really want to thank you, you know, for sharing about you know your journey. It's a, it's great to hear you know how how, how you went from like um, CCNA to doing what you what you're doing now. Do you have any advice for someone younger who's looking to emulate what you're doing? Um, as I said, you've walked this road. What's your advice? Like, do you have any final thoughts? Um, I think go after the thing that fascinates you the most. Uh, people tell me that they can hear my excitement in the show, and I think yeah. that means a lot. Um, but but it's also fun for me, you know, to dive into these stories that I find fascinating and to get into the tech I like. And so if you just are fascinated and, and, and excited and curious about the stuff that you're getting into, uh, hopefully you can find some sort of career in that and that could keep you entertained for quite a long time. Jack, thanks so much. Really appreciate you sharing. Thanks a lot, David. These are true stories from the dark side of the internet. I'm Jack Resider. This is Darknet Diaries. <laughs> <laughs>